Well, good morning again. If you wouldn't mind turning open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to consider what it means uh, to, to train. As the Olympics have gotten underway this past weekend, a uh, few, few days, Thursday, I think, Wednesday or Thursday, they started. Um, Friday night opening ceremonies. Right, any Olympic buffs in here? Anybody that's glued to the TV when the Olympics are on? That's me. I'm all about that. I, I like to watch uh, in, with the TV. I like to find the extra channels that they have. Uh, but just to just catch everything and just try to find what are the Olympic events because all of a sudden you see that there are some 300, seems, events that are going on. The one I don't ever just, I'll come to and just find something else is fencing because I don't know what's going on. This is my reenactment of fencing. You ready? Ah! What just happened there? And somebody's jumping. I remember uh, watching Beijing. This girl's jumping up and down because she won the gold medal. And I'm going, I didn't, I didn't, even, I didn't see anything. <laughs> Was the other person disqualified? Did they, where did they strike? I mean, it's just, I have no idea what's going on. But regardless, I'm glued to the TV when the Olympics are on because it's just, it's fun uh, to hear the stories. I don't know if you were watching last night with the guy from, they, they did, and they'll, they'll, what you'll see, they do these, um, these little spotlight sportraits. They call different things where they'll highlight the athletes and what they're doing uh, and how they got to the games and stuff. And they highlighted a, a, a gymnast from Ireland last night that it's only the second gymnast from Ireland, but this guy has been through a lot. I mean, they, they're listing the story of broken bones and here the mom is carrying him. They take him to recover. I mean, it just... Two horrific things happened in his life. I'm getting ready. To, uh, the next thing I'm listening for is, yes, his arms and legs fell off and he grew them again. And that's how he got to the Olympics. Because he's kind of, that's some resolve there to still work at this thing. Um, all in the name of human spirit. That's the spirit of the Olympics. Be careful about that word. So you do need uh, parents, you do need to exercise discernment as you're watching, especially with kids and they're listening to things. Uh, interview with a swimmer last night and he's just all about beating Michael Phelps. So, okay, dude, that's great and everything, but I want my kids to understand that's not the ultimate goal. It's a motivation, but we're we're here on the earth for something greater than what's going on. Paul picks up uh, a a metaphor that he uses a few times in his writings about athletics. And growing up as an athlete, as a pretty decent athlete, I think, um, I've always drawn, my, I've found myself, whenever Paul talks about athletics, I'm like, all right, I've got you there. I know what this means. I know what practice means. And I know what being committed to the, the goal means and committed to the team means. I've got you here. And so I've always tended toward those, those metaphors. But he picks it up with Timothy uh, here in First Timothy chapter 4. And he's letting him know, hey, uh, something bigger is going on here. And... and He's, he's answering some questions for him in this text uh, that uh, I think you'll hear as you listen to the Olympic uh, highlights uh, or sportsrits or as they do in a spotlight on a particular athlete. Uh, but chapter 4, verse 6, we'll pick up in verse 6 and read through verse 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Father, we come before you, we ask you for uh, we ask for illumination. We ask for 
your presence to be here with us and among us. We ask, Jesus, for you to be revealed again to us. Help us, help us understand what it is you're speaking to us as we're led in on a conversation between Paul and Timothy. Lord, you're speaking to us. We want to listen. We want to hear. Capture us. Lord, I do pray for everyone here who has family members that they have been praying for for years and years and years for saving knowledge to come to those family members whether they be children, whether they be siblings or parents, cousins, whatever. Lord, save them all. Save them all. Open their hearts just like you did to Lydia. She believed. She believed. And Lord, would you be so kind as to give us confirmation of that? We thank you, Lord. We commit our time to you. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Olympics, you'll hear the stories of how you have, I think, three categories that as you listen, you'll, you'll discover that within the stories of the telling of the triathletes, you have one uh, where it's the, I know this is on your notes and I can't find it on mine. What's that first one? Training. Training. Is that right? Training and then goals and then motivation. Those are the three. Training and what are they doing? What are you doing? Michael Phelps trains incessantly. Uh, I remember in 2008 looking up some stats on him that he trained 365 days a year. He was in the water every day in the year, holidays included, his own birthday. He was in the water training. That's what he's doing. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? The goals. What are you going for? Why? Why do this? And then the motivation of why do you keep at it when it gets difficult? Why do you keep going with it when you are tired, want to take a break, just want to sit down? I don't feel like doing this today. For us, I think spiritually, we need to, and and as we're even approaching and and participating in the spiritual Olympics that we're doing, we, we ask the same questions. And this morning, I'd like for us to ask those questions and think about what is it in us that, that motivates us? What are we going after? What's the goal? And then, what are we doing? What are we doing? What's the training? Here, Paul is talking about training. Where are we going? Why are we doing this? And then what keeps us going? Because every single one of us has faced, in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual journey, every one of us has faced the question of why in the world do I keep on doing this? And Paul gives the answer. He gives the answer to Timothy and he's helping us as well. What are you doing in your life with Christ? Why are you doing it? And what keeps you going when things get boring? What keeps you going in the midst of suffering? Because there, there's something great for us to look at. The first theme that we pick up on in this passage is that of training. Paul's telling Timothy that you're being trained, train yourself for godliness, and also, he uses the words toil and strive. That conjures up not a simple, just a relaxation that, okay, it's just going to come as it comes. There's an active, uh, something that we're to be doing. All of us would rather, wouldn't we rather this? It would be kind of cool, but we understand why God doesn't do it, that if we could just watch a movie about God and then through osmosis, and we're in our lazy boy and we've got our beverage, mine's Diet Coke, got Diet Coke there. Wouldn't it be great if we just could watch a movie and then stuff would happen to us? Well, this is great. God's changing me right now as I'm watching this. This is just magnificent. Quiet, quiet, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm transforming right now. Quiet in the house. Oh, this is great. Uh, we would love that. And I think, sadly, a lot of us approach our spiritual lives just like that. Uh, and Jerry Bridges helps us out in understanding this, this participation that we're supposed to play. That God's calling us on us to play as we uh, live our lives for him. He says this, Paul said, train yourself. Timothy was personally responsible for his progress in godliness. Catch that. Timothy was personally responsible for his progress in godliness. He was not to trust. He was not to trust the Lord for that progress and then relax. 
Though, listen, he certainly understood that any progress he made was only through divine enablement. There's a, there's a, I don't know if it's a tension, it's a cooperation that we're to play. God is transforming us, and we have scriptures that let us know and let us in on that, but there is a responsibility that we play, that God is saying, do this. What he's saying is, pursue me. But any step that we take is because he's empowering us to take that step. He's empowering us to get closer to him. Picking back up in the quote. He would have understood that he was to work out this particular aspect of his salvation in confidence that God was at work in him. We Christians may be very disciplined and industrious in our business, our studies, our home, or even our ministry, but we tend to be lazy when it comes to exercise in our spiritual lives. We would rather pray, Lord, make me godly and expect him to pour some godliness into our souls in some mysterious way. God does, in fact, work in a mysterious way to make us godly. But he does not do this apart from the fulfillment of our own personal responsibility. We are to train ourselves to be godly. We are to play a part. We are to say, God, I want you and I will seek to pursue you through the means of grace that you've given me. And all of us know, um, when you came to Christ, you probably heard people describing their time with the Lord, uh, or even being encouraged, you need to read the Bible, and you need to pray, and you need to have a devotional time with the Lord. And I, I remember, as a new believer, hearing those things and thinking, what on earth is that? And why? What, what does it mean? What does it mean to read? Why read the Bible? Now, I never asked anybody those questions, and God, through his grace, just kind of awakened my soul, awakened my heart to want to pursue those things. But the, the means that he gives us, and, and, and when we sit there, when we hear those words, and we're not making a connect of why do those things, I, I think we, as mature believers, need to be able to say, read your Bible because, pray because, and I'm going to fill that blank in, but I think we need to be prepared as we're encouraging people, not just throw out some um, hollow tool that they don't know how to use. And you're giving them a power tool, it's plugged in, and they don't know what, what is the application for this. Why do I do this? And so he's saying this training, and he points Timothy to a training that comes from, uh, look at verse 6, in the middle of verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith, and of the good doctrine that you have followed, Paul is telling him there's a way for you to be trained. And the training occurs as you sit with God, listening to his word, as you attend the preached word. There's a training, there's a transformation, there's a spiritual exercise taking place in us as we're listening on a Sunday morning. And as Keith said, as we are pursuing those other things, whether it's a personal time with the Lord, uh, in reading the Bible, or praying, and just sitting before the Lord, learning to hear his voice, attending a doctrine class, what are we saying to God? God, I I want to train myself, and I want want to be before you. And, and, And Paul is telling Timothy, you train yourself by being with God, communing with God. And let us not narrow communion simply to our own personal time with God. That is communion with him. But this is communing with God. Giving is communing with God. Worship is communing with God. All of that is training us. And how good it is to be trained personally in our personal interaction with the Lord. That we're on, when we come together on a Sunday, there is faith that's already been built up in our hearts. Then it gathers together with other faith, and there's an exuberance and a passion that comes to life. Why? Because God's saying, Here I am. Pursue me. Uh, I think Paul is also letting Timothy know that the, to the degree that we he and we understand words of faith and good doctrine will define how we pursue him. The training that primarily occurs for us is first in our minds. We need to train our minds to be able to think accurately about God and think right thoughts about God. You know, I I think that our struggle to find a time to be with the Lord, 
to read the Bible, to pray, to serve, to attend a fellowship meeting. I think primarily the battle is not in finding the time to do those things. I think primarily is first how we're thinking about those things. Quite simply, if they're not of value, we're not going to pursue them. And where do we assign the value? First, we assign that value in our minds and how we think about God, how we think about the means of grace that he supplied for us. And exactly what Paul is telling Timothy, the means of grace are the words of faith and good doctrine. In your mind, know God rightly. Because then you'll find, I, I want to pursue the means he has for me. I want to be able to be mentally prepared for my time with the Lord. It, I, I can... Uh, I hear a lot of phrases I'm not, as I'm interacting with people. This is through the years. This is not, uh, it happens presently, but it's not only presently, through the years. People, when I'm asking people, how is your time with God? How is your time in the word? How is your time? And a lot of times the, the frequent thing, well, yeah, I try to read, but I just don't get anything from it. And, and the way we say that is it's God's fault. God's just not making his word alive to me enough, and so I just kind of don't get into it. What we ought to be saying is, I'm not thinking rightly about God, so I don't read his word like I should. I'm not reading it by faith. I'm not reading it to discover him. I'm just reading. And I'm kind of stuck in my own ways and I want God to rescue me without me doing anything. No, he wants our obedience. You may remember the the gymnast coach, Bella Caroli, Uh, he will be paraded again I'm sure during these Olympics because he trained a whole bunch of gymnasts who won gold medals starting with he was in Romania uh, Nadia Comaneci and then uh, Mary Lou Retton and Stacey Strug is that her name? Carrie Strug thank you Um, in 96 and I think the picture uh, Bella Caroli came in under some criticism uh, for his training methods and when he was asked about his training methods he actually he described because uh, what he would do is he would have the girls do their exercise or their routine, and he would say this phrase all the time. Great job! One more time. Great job! One more time. And he came under criticism because he was working the girls so much, so much, so much, and he said, I want my girls to not only be prepared physically, but be prepared mentally. And a one more time, one more time, one more time, they were able to develop that mental edge that I think you saw with, uh, in 96 when he's carrying one of his gymnasts to the gold medal podium, <laughs> placing her there so she can be awarded. I, think she did, I remember watching that. She uh, did the vault basically with a broken ankle. Mentally prepared for We need to be, as, as Peter wants us to know, we studied this in First Peter, be sober-minded. Ready for action. Where does that happen? It happens in how we think about God and how we think about who he is to us, how we think about the means of grace that he supplied for us to pursue him and think rightly about him. The line between our dependence upon God, because I know all of us struggle with that. It's, it's that moment when reading the Bible or praying or even our giving or our serving or coming to church, listening to a message, it becomes hollow. You know what I'm talking about? where you're, you're getting stuff from the Lord and it's vibrant and you're telling people about it and all of a sudden there's this switch and you just kind of feel like you're just showing up. It's just kind of hollow. I just, it, was, it wasn't like it was before and I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I know oftentimes in my own life there are seasons where God, I think, just says, so, come to me, so, and you're going to reap, so, you're going to reap. But I also found in my own life that as I'm pursuing him, uh, there's a a fine line that occurs between my dependence upon God for the means of grace that he supplied, the tools that he supplied to get to know him, and my own self-reliance in those things. And I found that when I cross that line, it's first in my mind. And, And typically, I think it occurs when I'm looking more for the experience, uh, the fruit of what I'm doing in a good day, maybe, rather than simply seeing the exalted Christ. And Paul is so, he's telling Timothy, I I want you in your mind to think rightly, that he tells him in verse 7, beginning of verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. 
basically old wives' tales. Don't argue about them. Don't try to figure them out. Go to the words of faith. Go to the good doctrine you followed and have your mind renewed. Have it renewed in a way that's going to give perspective to what everything is throwing in. Uh, we, we believe some really silly myths about God. We might not say them, but we live like it. So we're going to do some spiritual myth busting this morning. I think there's two categories. There's myths about doctrine and there's also myths about our performance with God. And I would, I would say this. Uh, these are not exhaustive. I, we simply as pastors just say, Lord, what do you want to say? And things kind of bubble to the surface and that's what these are. Uh, I think the first myth about doctrine is this. That uh, doctrine, the study of doctrine is only for the smart people. I think it's a cop-out, really. Yeah, I mean, you had to like, compare yourself to somebody else that you know is a brainiac, and, well, you know, he really understands that doctrine, and I, I'm, I, don't, I don't like to argue, and I don't want to do those things. I'm just not like that, so that's just for the smart people. That's an assault on the Holy Spirit residing in you. Because the Holy Spirit gives the understanding. So we, we need to make sure that we're not approaching God, not, uh, not pulling into God in a way that is really just, oh God, you're going to talk to other people, you're not going to talk to me. I think another myth about uh, doctrine is God has done his part on the cross, now I have to do my part. This is in a more aggressive form to where we now I've got I've to look into doctrine, I've got to look into who God is. And, and, but I think what this masks I think it's an assault on the gospel itself. Because what we are needing to say when it comes to doctrine, Jesus did everything. He calls me to obey him. He calls me to experience his love and shine that out in my life and that's what I want to do. But we get into these modes where we think that, that it becomes our motivation. Well, you know, God, we try to get ourselves, God, Jesus died on the cross for me. The least I could do is wake up early and read the Bible. We're not, we're, that's a myth. We should take time to read in the Bible, but it comes from a, a faith that God's stirring in us to draw us to himself. Another myth about doctrine is God wants me to be happy, right? Yes, but not how you define happiness. All of us desire happiness, our own pleasure, the way we want it. And most every argument that occurs is due to our own definition of what we think is happy. And somebody else came in the way of that, and I don't like you. No matter how we mask it, yes, God wants us to be thrilled and overjoyed with him. The problem is that when we have myths about doctrine, what we're doing is making our choices based on the myth rather than the truth. We're interacting with people in our lives based on the myth rather than the truth. We're interacting with God based on a myth rather than the truth of who he is. I think another myth about doctrine is God knew what he was getting when he saved me. He just knew. I mean, that's just stupid. Isn't it? I don't want any responsibility whatsoever in my relationship with God. He knew what he was getting when he chose me. I think it's a cop-out to study, to pursue God. And it's, there's an arrogance that's underneath that that simply says, I don't have to change, and don't tell me to change. Leave me alone. Now, we are to understand doctrine. We are to pursue the study of doctrine. I think there's a few myths about performance I think the first myth about performance is this. God helps those who help themselves. You know that's not in the Bible. Ben Franklin said that. Thankfully, Benjamin Franklin was not a contributor to God's word. Thankfully. The man had some very awkward, wrong thoughts about God. And this fits his doctrine. Fits his doctrine perfectly as a deist. God sets everything he makes it all, winds it in motion, and steps back and says, all right, you've got to be responsible with it. Fits his doctrine. Doesn't fit ours. Another myth about performance would be this. Let go and let God. 
Now, shamefully, I have preached to do this to the teenagers in years past. I think I was well-intended, but I didn't get this part. I still play a part. I still have to do something. I'm personally responsible. So I think a new way to say that about our performance is let God. There is a, a biblical mandate of surrender and yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. But let God and obey God. Let go and obey God. Because I think it, it engenders, no, I'm still part of this equation. It's not just me throwing my hands up because I think there's just an arrogance. God, you just got to do this because I can't do it. Well, no, the reason you're careening off the road is because your hands were on the wheel. Don't act as if, oh God, you should just never let me drive. But we might not say these things, but we interact with God and live as if that's what we're doing. Another myth about performance, I think, is uh, I need to give something to God so I can get his blessing. This plagues us all. Really, it's a superstition. If I give a little, God will return what I've given him, and we usually have that as equal parts. So when something, this is how it reveals itself, when something bad happens, what do you immediately go to? I haven't prayed. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't given anything to God. I haven't served. That's why all this is going wrong. There, there is, I think, a connection with those things. But it's not a connection that says, that, that, as if God is up there saying, look, I, I'm not doing anything for you because you haven't done anything for me. That is not why Jesus went to the cross. It's simply not why he lived a perfect life, died on that cross, and then was resurrected. But to find that out in our minds, we have to avail ourselves to the words of faith, to good doctrine, to, to say, God, help me think rightly about you so that in my life, I'm not, I'm not using my Bible reading as a tool. I'm not simply saying, it, it, I'm not, uh, it doesn't become a tool without life in it. And that's, so often, that's what, that's what happens with us. We just, we're going through motions and we get irritated with God because we're going through motions and we're denying the purpose of why he gives us those tools. You know why he gives them? So we can see him. Everything that he's calling us to do is by faith. And we need to be able to clear our minds enough to see him by faith. And as we're availing ourselves to him, he's clearing our minds. We have scriptures about renewing our minds and, and, and just kind of getting all the clutter out. Why? So I can do more for God? Not primarily. It's so I can see God. When I read the Bible, I, I want to approach... I mean, I just have... I have a wonderful time reading God's word. I love it. Enjoy my cup of coffee right alongside with it. But I love getting into God's word and just being with him in his word. And I'm, I'm looking up different things. I'll see something, I'll read something and it'll trigger another thought of a passage somewhere else and I'll go look at that and the Holy Spirit's making these connections but as he's making those connections, he's not doing that to say, all right, Jeff, I'll give you some grace today so um, it's, things won't go bad. You get along with your wife today because you know, you've made these connections. You know why he's doing that? So I can see Jesus. So I can see who he is. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Our diligence to pursue the Lord through the word, through prayer, through the preached word, through meditation, through giving and serving, is so we will know him and see him on the inside, with the eyes of our hearts. Faith increases as we pursue. And by faith, we see the glory of God in Jesus. The means helps us see the man. And I want to see the man, always. Because when I see him, when I see Jesus, then everything kind of, it just, it gets ordered. Because the perspective is right. 
When we focus on the means too much and when those become, when we focus on the tools too much, we lose the picture. We lose the understanding. In our minds, we, we're thinking inaccurately. And most of the time, those thoughts become inverted and we're just thinking of ourselves more than we're thinking of others, more than we're thinking of God. As we see him, we grow to be like him. As we grow to be like him, we increase in our ability to be enthralled with God. When we see him, we grow to be like him. When we are growing to be like him, we increase every step in our ability to be enthralled with the greatness of God. That's why I want to pray. That's why I want to show up at church and listen to the preached word. That's why I want to fellowship with those who are around me that God's called to be in working in my life in a close way. That's why I show up to read my Bible every morning. Why? Because I want to see him so I can be enthralled by him. Because he's preparing us. He's preparing us for one day when that will be the greatest thing we'll ever, ever, ever know. We have a training. We're to be training ourselves, but there's a goal to our training, and that goal is godliness itself. Paul helps us, thankfully, he helps us in chapter 3, verse 16. He helps us understand what he means when he uses the word godliness. Uh, the, the word godliness, I, I think it appears around 11, 12, 13 times in the New Testament. Uh, in this letter itself, I think it's seven or nine times he uses the word godliness, which makes me think, you know how you might experience something with the Lord and all of a sudden you're looking through everything with that lens? It's kind of you get this particular revelation of who God is and it's kind of like, man, this is great. And then all of a sudden it's the application point that you're given to people and it's every scripture talks about that. I wonder if God, if Paul, God just gave Paul this godliness thing and it's just coming out in his letter to Timothy. Man, you just got to be godly because that's what godliness is. And you've got, it's God kind of bubbling up over what God has done in him. I'm thankful. Because it needs to be bubbling up in us. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is godliness? Godliness is, is put simply, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. That's who that's talking about. He was manifested to us in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. From start to finish, Jesus. That's godliness. Now Paul's saying, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself to be godly. What's he telling Timothy ultimately? What is the Holy Spirit telling us? Train yourself to be enthralled with the manifestation of Jesus so it's seen through you. Train yourself to see him that when others look on your life, they will see him as well. Not that we're looking at the, okay, I gotta make sure he's seen. I gotta make sure people are, are seeing that, I, uh, that I'm a Christian and I'm saying all the right things and doing all the right things. We gotta be careful of that because that can be void of the motivation and, and we're not doing it for the right reasons and people don't see Jesus then. They see hypocrites. But when we are saying, Jesus, I want to see you, that when people look at me, they see you as well. We need to have him revealed in us so he can be revealed through us. And you think about uh, this this aspect of uh, training ourselves for godliness, kind of, it has in there a reflective category. It's reflective in the sense that we are reflecting Jesus to those around us in the world that God's placed us in. In order to reflect something properly, you need to be facing it to get the proper reflection from it. You may hear a story of another Olympic athlete from 1924. His name was Eric Liddell. I'm sorry, Eric Little. It is pronounced Little. I'm quite sure, but I might be wrong. Got to throw that in there. Not absolute. Uh, Eric Little uh, was born in China, son of missionaries. He came back to, he was from, he was a Scot. 
he came back to Edinburgh, and then he went to school there, boarding school, which a lot of the missionary kids grew up in boarding schools. And at, just as they were doing sports, he was the fastest at everything, whether it was cricket or just simply, let's, we're going to start here, and we're going to go to that first person wins. He was the first person all the time. And they began seeing this. So as he, even in college, he ran track for college, and he was, uh, he was winning everything. So they're, they're having this highlight of, yes, and they called him the Flying Scotsman. They actually called him Flying because of his very unorthodox, even then, running style. He would get going, he would start the race, he would get going, and his arms would begin to flail, and he'd put his head up like this. <laughs> so he's called the Flying Scotsman. The, the movie Chariots of Fire... As part of his story and Harold Abrams, they ran the 100 meters. Uh, that was their main event, which is still the biggest track. Who's the fastest uh, human on the planet, I guess is the phrase. But Eric, is, he's going through this. He makes the Olympic team. Uh, he then finds out that the, the heat for the 100 meter, which was his best event, was held on a Sunday And he simply held in his heart that Sundays was the Lord's Day and he wasn't going to do anything. He kind of had it as his own Sabbath. It wasn't a a type of ritual thing for him. It was simply a conviction to say, I just want to rest in the Lord that day. He finds out actually a few months before uh, the the event, the Olympics in Paris that year, that his heat would be on uh, Sunday, so he declines. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Everybody's wondering, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that? And he just simply said, no, because I just believe the Lord, for me to honor the Lord, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. I think he was reflecting something. It's not mandated that we all reflect that, but we have our ways that God's calling us to reflect the manifested person of Christ. He goes through the Olympics, and then he, uh, he actually signs on for a, an additional event. He began training a little bit for that, the 400 meter, which the sprinters rarely run the 400 meters. The 400 is one lap around. And they rarely run that because they, just, they know how to sprint. So he does the 100, 200. They said they can't sprint all the way around. He's in lane eight. He can't see anybody. Gun fires. He's running, and they're sprinting. Even they... Uh, they asked the other runners who were with him, and all the other runners said he is going to, he's going to flare out because he started with a sprint. And they said he's just going to be gone. Right before that, I forgot this very important thing, right before that race, somebody came up to him and gave him a note. And that note read on there, the one whom honors the Lord, the Lord will honor. So he just tucked it away put it in his bag or something. He starts the race. He's all, all out sprint. Everybody's thinking, oh, we're going to catch up to him. He can't see anybody, so he doesn't know where he is in the race. He rounds the turn, and he kept on getting faster. And he's getting faster and faster, and he wins the gold in the 400-meter event. And when then he goes back to Scotland. He is paraded around. He won a silver in the 200, which is one of his greatest events. He got a silver in that. So he's paraded around all of Scotland. And as he's getting all of these uh, invitations to come speak at places, he gets all of these invitations. And the one thing he talks about every time is not how he won, but how Jesus won him. And he would tell them over, and he wasn't a dynamic speaker for anything, but everybody was enthralled. I know what that feels like. In 1996, I was at LSU when LSU won the baseball championship, and Warren Morris, God who loved, he loved God. I hope still he served, trust he's still serving the Lord today. He came to one of the meetings that we had, a Campus Crusade meeting, and this guy stood like this with a little podium and talked for an hour and 15 minutes without moving. And he was boring. Dude, I'm glad you got something to say because this is torturous. <laughs> With great heart. And he's telling about hitting the home run that won the championship over Miami. Uh, so everybody's showing up. We had 500 people show up to that meeting because they wanted to hear Warren Morris. But he gave testimony to Jesus saving him in that meeting. Eric Little is doing that over and over and over again. And they, everybody's telling him, oh, the next Olympics in four more years. 1928, you're going to be in the next Olympics. And he said... No, I'm not. What? Why? Why? He said, well, I I think God's calling me back to China. Gave up all the running. He actually did a couple exhibitions in China, but he went to China and lived as a missionary. 
Got married, had three daughters. Never met the third daughter because uh, Japan had invaded China and they put him in a camp. He sent his wife and daughters to go. She was pregnant at the time when he sent her back to Canada. So they're in a concentration camp, basically. Um, work camp. And they would, everybody in the camp would call him Uncle Eric. And they, every Sunday they'd have tea with Uncle Eric. What he would do, when they weren't allowed to congregate together in the camp, so he would go from uh, dorm to dorm. And they would have tea because they let, because all being British, they would let them have tea all the time. So he said, we're going to have tea. So that was their excuse for meeting together. We're having tea. But as they're having tea, he's preaching to them. And he's letting them know about Jesus. And they're growing in the faith. Uh, he died at only in his early 40s, mid-40s, from an inoperable brain tumor that he never knew he had. He actually thought he was having a nervous breakdown. He wrote to his wife. But died there. And they have just a monument uh, standing. And I hope... They're going to tell his story because he was from Great Britain. I hope, I hope, be listening for, are they going to tell the best part of the story? That it's not about human achievement. It's not about, oh, he overcame the odds of not doing winning the 100 meter and watched his friend Harold Abrams win it. And now, but he went out in his own resolve and human spirit and won the 400. No. He loved God. And he was a a reflection of Jesus on the earth. We too, when we need to have Jesus in our spotlight so we don't look to put ourselves in that spotlight. Training will accomplish this. And Paul says, what's the value? Well, the value is infinite. The value is in every way. How can you put a value on seeing Jesus? We're seeing him, we're knowing him, and he's being manifested, he's being revealed in us, to us, and and carrying us up and enthralling us in who he is. And as that's happening, the second part comes. When we are, when people are seeing that, there is an everlasting, eternal joy, and there's promises that accompany that revelation. As it's being revealed to us, it's being manifested in us and through us, there's promises there. And Paul says, listen, look, bodily training, yes, it's of some value. And I do believe that. Uh, God blessed me by me marrying a, uh, Kathy was a a fitness center director for many years before we got married. She's a certified personal trainer. That was God's blessing for me, really. Because I would eat stuff. You're eating that? Eating I was junk food all the time, all the time. But there is, and, and Kathy's been my biggest supporter of exercise. She says, no, you, it's something she's always said, which I, I like repeating. Um, you can't do anything for the quantity of your days by exercising. But you can improve the quality of your days by exercising. A little perspective, free of charge. <laughs> it's helped me out. <laughs> this is... Too, all too frequently. I've, I've done, I get bored with exercise routines and so I did the swimming thing and then I did the P90X thing and I just got so irritated with watching those videos all the time and then I would try another one and Kathy would come, I'd exercise in our garage, she'd go from the kitchen over to the laundry room and every time she'd pass, you doing that wrong? <laughs> and she'd be in there and she'd come back, you're going to hurt your back doing that. No, look, I'm landing on my toes. No, she was right. <laughs> I don't do that exercise routine anymore. <laughs> we have promises for today with eternal spiritual exercise. As we are training our minds to think rightly about God, as we're looking for the goal of godliness of Jesus being revealed, we have Jesus to look at and he's so kind to be able to say this is a value for today and it's a value for that day. The value that we have today is his presence. He will never leave us or forsake us. We have the light of his presence that brings with it guidance, discernment, discovery of his will, understanding God, this side of heaven. We also, I just think, we have joy but we also have the support of the Holy Spirit. And we have the support of, I think as we are seeing Christ manifested, we, we understand the support that people are to play in our lives. We understand the support the Holy Spirit is, is doing and active in our hearts, supporting us, keeping us up, and making sure that we're running the race. 
but we also understand the support that others can be around us and are to play in our lives around us. If y'all remember 1992 in Barcelona when Derek Redmond pulled up with a pulled hamstring? I'll tell the story, you probably remember. He's running around the track. Uh, I think it was the same event that Eric Little ran 400 meter. He's running about halfway down, almost to the curve. He pulls up, a, with a, uh, pulls up lane with a hamstring, pulled hamstring, and went down to the track. And so he's there. He, I saw this interview. He said he actually thought he got shot because the pop was so loud. He went down on the ground, and then he kind of realized what happened. He went up, couldn't, so he, he starts hopping around the track. And he gets back in lane five, and he starts hopping, and he goes around. I mean, he's, he's fallen still. He goes around the curve, and all of a sudden, this man is running out to him. Security's trying to stop him. It turns out it was his father. And his father comes up to him, and he says, you don't have anything to prove. But Derek said, no, Dad, I've got to finish this race. So his dad took his arm and walked with him the final 100 meters till he finished the race. We have that type of support with the Holy Spirit, with those in our lives. So please, 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 when the day comes when you fall, something is done to you, it's the result of your own sinfulness, whatever it is, don't stop the race. Because we have a comforter. We have a holy supporter. He's, He's helping us through. He's got us. We're doing it with his strength. We're limp, we're lame. We've got issues. But God's there to help us see us through. We have promises for that day. We have an eternal light. We have an eternal being, Jesus himself, that we get to gaze upon. And we have the promise today that that day will happen. I think it's one of the greatest promises ever the salvation of our souls, avoiding God's wrath and having his love, his spirit poured out upon us and being able to culminate with us standing before Christ with him. Jesse Owens, who ran 1936 Olympics, said this, a lifetime of training for for just 10 seconds. We don't have to say that. We say a lifetime of spiritual training For all eternity. Because as we see him, we're growing to be like him. As we're growing to be like him, we increase our capacity to be enthralled by him. And in heaven, we will be enthralled by him. No sun there, because his light is that bright. That's a fun place to think about. And that, Paul says, is our motivation. It's the hope of that. It's the hope of all that Christ is. All that he is to us. All that he's been on this earth and revealed in scripture. That's our hope. In the living God. Who gave himself for us. Look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Those two phrases right there, if you've been attending the doctrine class, should make you go, what? And you want to attend next week, even if you're not going for a medal. Probably want to attend, because what's Paul talking about? And it kind of sounds like he's changed his mind on what he said about Romans 9. It kind of says he doesn't remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and John chapter 17. You can soak on that this week. See you next week. That should stir thought. What in the world does Paul mean? We, this morning, are going to focus on he means this. We have a hope. We have a hope of the living God. And that hope, he writes in Romans chapter 5, does not put us to shame. Look at that, verses 3 to 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I think sometimes we struggle with giving more and more of ourselves to God because we just don't know if he's, honestly, we don't know if he's going to treat us like people in our lives have treated us. And so we kind of reserve something back from God. But let's hear the Holy Spirit saying, surrender. I'm not going to put you to shame. Why? Because my love has been poured out. Jesus has been given. He has been risen. 
And he stands now with the Father in heaven at his right hand. Turn to Revelation 22. Let's, let's dream a little bit about heaven together. Y'all should know where that is. It's really close to the end of the Bible. As in the last chapter. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding, each, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. That's our hope. I want to read the Bible, I want to pray, I want to give, I want to serve, I want to love people. Because when I do that, I begin seeing his face. Because on that day, I want my mind to be completely clear. I want to see him as he is. Let's keep going. And his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. John goes on to say, come, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to see you. Jesus, we want to see you exalted. We want to see you manifested, revealed. Would you help us understand that for our own hearts? Would you help us and empower us and enthrall us so that we will train ourselves for godliness? We will train ourselves to see Jesus depending upon you all the while. Because Jesus, we want to see your face. We want to see the glory of God in your face. We want to be knowledged. We want to think correctly about you as we see you. As it gives light to our souls. As it brings joy to our souls. And it, as it, it's a light in the midst of darkness in the world that we live. So Jesus, we ask, come, come. 